Hello, it's Monday, therefore it's a Religious Studies Project podcast day. Uh, you may be thinking to yourself, who is this strange man? Why has he got such dulcet accent? Oh, that's because I am Ray, and I am from Sydney, Australia. And I am the social media editor of the Religious Studies Project, and I am sitting in a room with, to my right, David Robertson, and directly ahead of me. You could have said to your left, man. Yeah, but you're pretty much directly ahead of me. I'm staring right at you. Yeah, but I thought I was going to get to make a joke about, you know, David being on the right. Anyway, I'm Chris Scott. (laughs) Well, that was, I had a sort of of out-of-body experience there of listening to someone else introducing the show, and it was a real pleasure. Well, you know, the way of the future. Not not to take uh to take over or anything. I'm sure <laughs> it's his yeah. second show and he's already showing me the door. Yeah, exactly. it's two over there. <laughs> you know, these things work work better. We franchised out now. Let's just get to the to the interview. Uh, well, this week is a roundtable on the commission report, a way forward, uh, that was put together by the by Wendy Dossett. by Wendy Dossett, um, and the commissioners of the study because re- oh, you guys yeah. are gonna have to like this is sort of something that i have not actually heard of in australia of the, the re commission report uh commissioners um eleanor nisbet and joyce miller and joyce miller plus celine benoit from uh Socrel. so let's pass over to wendy and she's gonna tell you more what's happening Hello everybody and welcome to the Religious Studies Project. My name is Wendy Dossett and I'm a senior lecturer in Religious Studies at the University of Chester. And I'm also the TRS UK representative on the Religious Education Council of England and Wales, which means I'm interested in the relationship between departments of the academic study of of theology and religion and what goes on in schools. And um, we're at a particularly critical moment um, in the, the, the study of religion in schools. There's a lot of public mistrust of the subject. Um, Linda Woodhead has said that religion is a toxic brand and I think many people in the public think that religious education in schools is about recommending religion to people or trying to present religion in a good, in a good light. And uh, there's a lot of competing agendas and imperatives in, in religious education. Numbers are falling at GCSE and A-level. Obviously, that has a, a knock-on effect for uh, recruitment to, to academic religious studies at university level. Um, so that's a concern. And um, this is a particularly important moment because on the 10th of September, um, a new report by, published by the Commission for Religious Education came out. The report is called Religion and Worldviews, The Way Forward a national plan for RE, and it it invites a new vision for religious education in schools that um, the hope is that the government will um, take account of that new vision and, and bring about some change. So we want to discuss that, um, and I'm very pleased to welcome um, two of the commissioners who, who contributed to that report. So we have um, Dr Joyce Miller, who's an Associate Fellow in the Religion and Education Research Unit at the University of Warwick. She's a former Senior Lecturer in Religious Studies at the University of Wolverhampton, and she's a former Chair of the Religious Education Council of England and Wales. Hi, Joyce. Hello. 
And we also have um, down the line um, another commissioner, Professor Eleanor Nesbitt, who's Emeritus Professor from the University of Warwick. Um, and she's well known for her work on the religious lives of children and intercultural education. And Eleanor was using a, a lived religions approach in her work in religious studies and religious education before it became a, a, a slogan. <laughs> Um, she's also the author of Sikhism, a very short introduction. So welcome, Eleanor. Hello. And also very happy that we have um, Celine Benoit uh, with us, who's a teaching fellow at Aston University and a convener of SOPRO, which is the BSA Sociology of Religion group. Um, Celine is about to submit her PhD, um, and that is entitled Representing Religions in Schools, Locating the Self and the Other. Um, so welcome to everybody. I'll, I'll just start with um, what seems one of the most obvious things about the Commission's report, but I suspect commissioners will, will tell us it isn't, in fact, the most obvious thing. But um, the report describes the subject, which has widely been known in schools as religious education, as religion and worldviews. So so this is a big change. And um, Professor Stephen Parker has said this is the most uh, kind of radical change in the subject proposed since the 1960s. Um, so we, we really are talking about a potential game changer um, if this is taken up by, by government. And I wonder if I could just invite um, the, the, the commissioners to... Tell us a bit about why this change is necessary. Joyce. I think it's necessary because, as Wendy has explained, there are very serious issues about religious education at the moment. Alongside falling um, entries for our examination subject, we have evidence of a huge disregard of the law. In our re Religious education is compulsory for all children in all schools, and yet up to 30% of schools don't seem to be offering it at all at Key Stage 4. There are a whole range of other issues. We have few teachers. Our um, entries are insufficient to keep the teaching profession afloat in terms of religious education. There's um, a lack of resources and support for schools. Religious education in England is extremely complicated, because it's work, it works on a local level. We have over 150 local education authorities, each of which is responsible for agreeing what is going to be taught in religious education in its own area. This makes it a fragmented and complex approach. This has been the law in England for a very long time. Most recently, in 1988, the law was amended, and that was when religious education was invented as the term in law. Before that, it had been religious instruction, religious knowledge. And the 1988 Act made obligatory the teaching of religions other than Christianity in religious education in English schools. If we're now going to have a new and radical approach to the understanding of religion, we need a new name to signify a major change that is now going to happen in our schools at least we hope that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. That is the intention of the Commission. Mm. Thank you. Could I add a bit in about, about the name as well? Please do. One of the things that's significant is it's not religion and worldview. It's mm. religion and worldview. Mm. Because the Commission has 
felt that it was really important that in school, not just in university, young people should be introduced to the nature of what we call religion, its dynamics and its impact and so on, almost regardless of which religion we're talking about. So the nature of religion itself is important. And then as far as worldviews go, it's not just that old commissioners want to include humanism or non-religious worldviews. It's the fact of acknowledging that every human being has something that can be called a worldview. Mm-hmm. And so actually, this, this renaming is a way of saying, yes, you're included as well. You don't have to be Hindu, Sikh, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, mm-hmm. or from some other organization or community that has a faith label. Mm-hmm. Actually, this subject is about the creation of the individual worldview as well as the existence of knowledge, public um, worldview. Mm. That, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I guess some people in, uh, in academic religious studies, even though they're in religious studies, um, might have um, uh, a critique of the idea of religion as, as a kind of freestanding concept is instantiated in these different uh, religious traditions. Um, are we saying religion is a thing um, that, you can, that you can study? <laughs> Yeah. Any of the other terms we thought of, yeah. I think there could be a similar point made. What's going to be interesting is that the discussion is reintegrated. Yeah. So the the the, the decision was not to go just with worldviews and drop religion entirely. Well, it, it could be argued that religion is a subset of worldview, but is it? Because religions involve community activity. They they involve uh, identity. They involve all sorts which are not generally thought to be um, a necessary or usual part of, of what we think of as a worldview. Mm. We also wanted to maintain some continuity. Yeah. We are not inventing a new school subject that mm. is called worldviews, because then that would include political worldviews. So we had to constrain and tighten it in some way and link it to the study of religions mm. um, but these conversations about what religion is, where it sits in our highly secularised society, what its link is to spirituality, these are the conversations we want children to be having in the classroom. Mm. So they're not just a term that they hear and they never get the chance to unpack and explore. They need to understand it an age-appropriate level, mm. why these questions are important, and some of the conversations that are happening at academic level. Mm. Children are far more capable at exploring difficult concepts than we often give them credit for. Mm. And so one of the things the Commission is very keen to ensure is that we're not just adding a few more isms, mm. six big religions plus humanism plus mm. a few other. Um, we're looking for a much more... Um, in-depth analytical understanding of what religion is, what secularism is, what spirituality is, and the ways in which worldviews and how people live and how children grow and develop, how all of these are enabled through that study. Mm. I think this conversation about religion or religions is really important, and I think going for religion rather than religions 
allow us to have a conversation about trying to not rely so much on the world religions paradigm mm-hmm. and trying to put you know every community in very neat category and no one feels like they're really being represented correctly because you know you may have a Muslim people who says well this is not how I understand Islam and it doesn't fit with what I'm doing at home but also it might allow us to move away from that outsider insider perspective yes. where most of the pupils might feel like they're looking at the other and it's very spectatorial and it might be more damaging mm-hmm. and I know that's not the purpose of our mm-hmm. but moving away from religions might be quite positive. I think part of this stemmed from the debate in 1988 where there was a strong emphasis in Parliament on preserving the integrity of religions. Yes. And some teachers have interpreted that as having to teach each religion separately, what we call the silo approach. So children have no understanding of religion as a concept or the way in which religions relate to each other, the way they influence each other. And so we're trying to open this up to a a broader, but deeper analytical understanding of of what we have around us in the world that children are entitled to explore. So is it envisioned that um, a more kind of thematic approach would be be taken rather than this kind of silo or systematic um, approach? Um, Because that as well has its problems, doesn't it? Because um, it, it, it reinscribe or it potentially can reinscribe the world religions paradigm that Salim has just um, mentioned, in that it, it, it kind of models religions on a on a kind of Christian uh, blueprint and says, oh, you know, every religion's got its festivals and its rites of passage and rituals and beliefs. Um, so, uh, is that a risk with this new, with this new approach? Um, what, what do you mean by a risk? That, um, so, so the, 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 there's there's a, a kind of impetus to um, get away from the the silo approach, the systematic. Uh, uh, systematic. Uh, yeah. Well, there's there's. It is the risk that if you if you move away from that systematic approach, um, which teaches religions as co- kind of coherent entities, that where you go then is a thematic approach, um, which which results in actually creating a lot of the same problems. So there's always a risk if you have teachers who don't feel equipped for the task, and quite a significant part of the recommendations of the report. Uh, involves ways in which teachers can be strengthened in their knowledge and confidence for dealing with this. But I think also one of the pointers in the report is towards understanding the ways in which religions interact. So it's not saying you can't teach about Islam, about Christianity and so on. But it is saying, look, there are people who happen to have one Christian parent and one Muslim parent, or there are people who live as a Muslim minority in a Christian country, or vice versa, and there is interaction well in the lives of that family is concerned. Um, it, it is about, again, it's about the nature of religion, that it doesn't exist in isolation from other ways of uh, being religious. Mm. I think there are issues as well about the way in which teachers of religious education represent those religions in the way they choose to teach them in the classroom and how this sits in relation to children's perceptions of those religions through the media. So, for example, there are many teachers who genuinely believe 
that they're addressing Islamophobia through teaching about Islam. So mm. they do the five pillars and think they're making a major contribution to community relations and to children understanding their Muslim neighbours. Now, that may be true, and an understanding of Islam is necessary, but it certainly is not sufficient. So Islam has to be understood in its current social context as well. Mm. How Christianity relates to Islam, how Judaism relates to Islam, how our politicians represent Islam, and what they say, how the media represents Islam. Mm. So we have to move away from a narrow approach to a religion, to seeing it from the child's perspective and all the influences that are affecting them and their judgments, so that they can come to a, a much more informed understanding and have the opportunity for their misconceptions and biases to be addressed. Mm. Um, children can walk away from lessons about Islam being as Islamophobic at the end of it as they were at the beginning. Mm. And we delude ourselves if we think that religious education can and, and can overcome these issues um, relating to serious racisms in mm. connection with religion. I think that's why it would be interesting to see how, you know, if the government takes this on board, which I hope it does, because um, this is a you know, step in the right direction, I think we need to move away from this decentralized approach and just having you know, knowledge about a few religions. Um, because seeing how it's going to be put into practice, because of what you mentioned, Wendy, you know, there might be like some pitfalls as how to re- we could be teaching um, religion and worldviews. But I do wonder, when we put it into practice, how can we move away from, you know, teaching about the different isms and it's creating that space for the uh, for the teacher and, and for the pupils to have that conversation about what they hear in the media, what they hear at home as well. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it very feels much more like we're learning a few key facts about a particular religions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we will need, um, and I think that the report does mention it, but we need to invest a lot more in teacher training and in supporting the teachers further because it might feel like a, a minefield to have to go and talk about all these things. Um, and, you know, the children are very curious and they will have questions. Um, and from my experience, teachers tend to feel like, you know, maybe more comfortable going back to telling a story, a religious story, and then necessarily opening the space for dialogue afterwards. Yeah. One of the things we haven't mentioned yet is the major recommendation in the Commission's report is to set up a new national body to write some exemplary programmes of study that schools can use. And I think that's going to be really important. And we have been very clear that the people on that body should be there because of their expertise in religious education Mm. and not because they're there representing religion. And the representation of religions, and Eleanor is much more expert in this than I am, that is a a fraught area, a very Mm. complex area. And it goes back to people's sense of ownership and control and power over Mm. the Mm. curriculum for religious education. So these are are complex and contested areas. Um, So so would you you see the Commissioner's commissioner's report as a a, a kind of decisive step away from faith communities having involvement in the the construction of the religious education syllabus? I think that I would, but there's a major but. And that is an enhanced role of local religious communities in supporting religious education in their localities. 
We would not go to the French embassy and say, could you please come and sit on a committee and tell us how to organise the modern foreign languages for French in English schools. We wouldn't do it for geography. And yet we do it in religious education. And this now seems an outdated model. The law, in fact, was about the Church of England and other Christian denominations. And there's been a fudging of all of that. Do you want to say something about that now, Eleanor? Yeah. That's really important. If we if we get, we need to keep these local advisory networks going because, whilst at the same time I am all for national entitlement because as you know for reasons you mentioned in the report, every child should be uh, receiving the same um, religious uh, education or religion and uh, worldview education. At the same time, because they won't be involved in you know looking into the syllabus and that kind of things i'm wondering would there be space for them to still be able to have conversations about the content of good practice and things like that because it's it's thanks to some of the sacrifices that have done such good work that i think we are where we are today we've been able to move away from you know teaching about the six major world religions and looking into uh, constructing the syllabus into different ways so i wonder if there would be space for that kind of conversation I think the local area networks can almost invent themselves. If they want to write programs of study as exemplars for their schools, they can do that. If they want to write a program of study about religion in their local area, they can do that. If they want to produce a resource, they can do that. There are huge opportunities for local involvement at a level that is focused and appropriate for that area. And I think we are, I'd like to think we are freeing them up to develop themselves and become stronger, more active, more involved. Um, there is a requirement at the moment, for example, that SACRES should have to um, monitor the quality of religious education in schools. How do they do that? Mm-hmm. You can look at exam results, but that tells you what happens in Key Stage 4. It does not tell you what happens in Key Stages 1 and 2 and 3. So we want to give them the power to do what they can do well, and that is support local schools in a local, democratic, open, flexible way. So you know, we think there are real opportunities there for them to do what they can do well.
Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash Project RS and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it would be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. Just um, in relation to kind of the, the philosophical underpinnings of the report, it strikes me um, as a report that is more influenced by kind of social scientific um, uh, approaches to the study of religion than, than perhaps some other um, approaches. And I know I notice what's not in the report is material on on um, approaches to RE that come from values education or character education or virtue education um which um you know some some people feel that um that these are kind of areas that re should be addressing they should be addressing kind of the the character development the spiritual development even of of the child and this report doesn't seem to envision the subject in that way uh, which is something I welcome, um, <laughs> but something that interests me is that a conscious, a conscious uh, kind of decision that the commissioners have made. Right, I think there are lots of questions within that one question, Wendy. Um, shall I pick up on the spiritual and yeah. other things first, and then perhaps we can come back to the social versus theological yeah, debate? Yeah, sure. Um, it's very important, I think, in English schools to recognise that. Children's spiritual, moral, social, and cultural development is a cross cult, a cross curriculum requirement. It is a whole school issue, and so RE teachers claiming spiritual development for themselves is not appropriate. Mm-hmm. It has to be every teacher, every classroom, the whole curriculum, the whole school. What we can do through RE is examine what this word spirituality means, whether it's linked to religion, whether it's separate from religion. So we do have a particular role to play. So the same is true of moral education. Mm. People may talk about virtue and character. That is a whole school issue, not a religious education issue in particular. We, We have a lot of people saying, well, religious education is really important because then children can understand art and music and literature. That's children's cultural development. Mm. And again, it's a whole school issue. And I've got this feeling that if RE teachers stopped saying, we can do this, and said to every department in their school, this is your responsibility as well, RE and religion wouldn't be seen as something that's separate from the rest of the school in this odd bit of the basic curriculum as opposed to the national curriculum. Mm. It would be a shared responsibility. And with social education, um, how we all relate to each other in society, how we all become socially responsible human beings, RE must stop saying, oh, this is ours. We must say this is everybody's because then I think RE will actually be strengthened through all of that. 
And I was also very keen on the Commission. I don't know about you, Eleanor, but I wanted to try not to tie us to current debates. <laughs> a little while ago, everybody was talking about religious literacy, but that will not continue because there are phases in these areas of discourse. We don't want to be identified with what people were talking about this year because we're trying to present a vision for the next 20 and more years, perhaps, for religious education. Yeah, that's also very important. And I think that, that what you say about religious education, I think, is and was, but it will change its name to what you said about it um, almost seeing uh, the, the cultural and the moral and the spiritual and so on as it's preserved, that's really important. But uh, I suspect the tendency is for other teachers, other members of schools to be perceiving this as of the subject, um, and one would hope that somehow this report will shift the perception of the, the specialists in other subjects and in other areas of curriculum away from just thinking that there's one subject where all this can be shunted. Mm. Eleanor, would you agree with me that the social studies approach to religion has been neglected in religious education in schools, or do you think I'm misrepresenting what goes on there? I think it's been neglected in the teaching. I think it's neglected in the resourcing. And I think that a lot of the difficulty for practitioners is the nature of the resources, which, if we talk about print resources, are those that publishers produce on the assumption that you have a publication about each of the religions separately. Um, and we very much need to have resources based on an understanding of social a social sciences understanding of of religion. Mm. Um, and in school of course it is still the case that there may be a non specialist in secondary as well as in primary teaching the subject, and it may be that the head knows that somebody is a good member of a particular faith community, and therefore asks that person to teach this subject, which reinforces the view, um, or mis 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 reinforces a misunderstanding of the nature of religion as matters of faith and belief and commitment, rather than having many other dimensions that would be mapped out by somebody who's looking from a more sociological or, for that matter, psychological or anthropological perspective. The fact is, though, in a classroom, if you were to begin with a social scientific approach, it wouldn't take very long before children were beginning to ask questions beyond quantitative data. Mm. And as soon as you begin looking at qualitative data, you're talking about what people do as a religious practice or believe as a religious person. And so very, very quickly, you would come to the big questions about your religion, what it teaches, what it, it, how it analyzes um, the human condition. So I think the social sciences, theological, religious studies, theological split is a, is a false dichotomy. Right. In a real classroom with children asking their questions. And children are very interested in questions of meaning and big questions about religion and worldviews. I think we can have a, a balanced curriculum that will bring 
social studies, social studies approach to the classroom in a in a better, clearer way than it has been before. Mm. So religious education should benefit enormously from this, I think. Okay. So what would you say is the main aim of religion in worldviews? Because as you rightly said before, it was religious literacy for a while, then it was about warmer community relations, and we've put so many aims and objectives in our way that we didn't even really know what it was for in the end. So I wonder if, if you... Or if you are keeping it vague on purpose, or if you've actually narrowed it down a little bit. I think we probably went for a bit of vagueness on this. No, it is simply about understanding the nature of religion and understanding the, the worldviews of people in a diverse local, national and global society. Um, does that have some kind of transformative effect? On the child, are we are we hoping that they will be uh, more open to religion, more empathetic, or are we hoping to um, develop stronger critical skills? Um, what, what's the what's the effect on the child of that of that understanding? That would have to be researched. I'm sure we're hoping that throughout the curriculum and outside of the curriculum, uh, pupils are being transformed into happy, responsible of a harmonious society, but the study of religion and worldviews isn't to be seen as something instrumental, mm. um, it's something of value in itself as an intellectual discipline, as a, a clue to understanding what's going on in, in world current affairs mm. and so on. think in terms of a sort of family of resemblance when okay. it comes to the aims and purposes of religious education. And I think as a profession, we've spent a great deal of time talking about what RE is for and trying to define its aims, when in fact there are many appropriate aims and many appropriate emphases, and teachers with different strengths and different academic backgrounds mm-hmm. come into teaching this subject. And I think there are a number of ways of approaching RE, a number of ways of um, looking at um, what the whole purpose of it is. And we need to remain open and flexible and recognize that if they're doing all of those things that Ellen has just set out, where enabling young people to become um, more mature, more human, um, more moral, more aware of others, more able to cope with difference, um, more understanding of the human condition and, and them as individuals within humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many ways of doing that. And so I don't think we should be too precise and we say the outcome has to be this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many possible consequences of what we teach and a good deal of those we'll never know because they come to fruition, we hope, in adulthood as children grow up and continue to think about the sorts of issues that were raised as part of their religious education in schools. Mm. And to be friends with people from very different mm. cultural and religious backgrounds from their own. And I love that phrase, Eleanor. I think I might have learned it through you. Um, 
of children becoming um, cultural navigators. Mm. And that's, of course, from Ballard, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, and, and, that's um, a term I used, and I think it's certainly one of the first people to use it was uh, Roger Ballard. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea of children becoming cultural navigators. Um, in fact, it may even be, in, in, when I worked in Bradford, we talked about children becoming cross-cultural navigators mm-hmm. and this ability to um, respectfully engage in conversation and activity with people from a whole range of other backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the purposes of religious education. It's not the only purpose. Mm-hmm. I think the government might be interested in Ari's contribution to the um, emphasis it currently has on integrated communities. Mm-hmm. And yes, Ari can contribute to that, and it's very important. But it's not the only purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, politically at the moment, it, it may be given emphasis, mm-hmm. but there are so many more consequences of good Ari. Mm-hmm. That's I, I do have a concern about Navigation is about avoiding things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we have to use some other methods as well. <laughs> yeah. Cultural explorers, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um, if, if RE, or Religion and Worldviews, as it's newly envisioned, is, is academic and it's non-confessional, um, shouldn't every child have it? By law, and should it be impossible for for parents to withdraw their children from it? I think a lot of commissioners would, would hope that, but we also have to be aware of the, the nature of the law and of uh, precedent uh, internationally and nationally, mm-hmm. and that is why uh, there's a recommendation that the um, that the DOD should uh, clarify the legal situation. Mm. Ideally, it would go, and it is anomalous um, that children can be withdrawn by their parents, and teachers can withdraw from teaching it if they choose Mm. to do that. It does make us exceptional in the curriculum, Um, but as Eleanor has said, the law around this is really quite complex, and we do not want to create a situation which is going to put schools at risk of litigation. Mm. And that is extremely important. And that was what absolutely put the brakes on, on this move. Mm. Um, we did have experts. We did. We did. And the ideal situation is that it remains in law as a possibility, but nobody ever takes advantage of it. Mm. This advantage is increasingly being taken of it, isn't it? Um, often for Islamophobic reasons. Yes. Well, the evidence seems quite... Oh, limited on that. There has been one survey, but it included a very small number of schools that responded, I think 300 schools out of the thousands um, in England, and a small percentage of those reported that there was that. Anecdotally, we hear a great deal about that, but there isn't sufficient hard evidence, I think, to support that it actually happened. Would you agree with that reading of the evidence we've had, Eleanor? Yeah, I think that's true. I think we're concerned about what a future trajectory might look like. Mm. We're also um, concerned about the possibility of withdrawal from parts of the subject and also whether or not parents or anybody is required to find some worthy substitute for um, education and religion and worldview for those students who are withdrawn, Mm. if they are. 
there is um, it's complex area, but I think it's very easy for people to assume that it's all to do with Islamophobia or, or even more widely a, a xenophobia. Mm. And I certainly haven't seen data that support that. Mm. I think it's interesting, though, that there are so many parents who don't want their children to be taught about certain things in case they are unduly influenced by them. Yes. And so this again shows the, the fear that lies underneath people's perceptions of religious education as somehow, possibly in quite a subtle way, being indoctrinatory or evangelical. And we have not managed to shift public opinion sufficiently on that mm. in the 30-odd years that modern religious education has been in existence. And, of course, the move to worldviews um, invites the perception that now now religious education is, is going to include um, humanism, atheism, um, etc., etc., and, and there may be a new uh, cohort of people who might be disturbed about that. It's possible. I think we have one cohort who look on religion with suspicion because it's religious and they're secularist and they don't want their children to be subjected to it. We have another group where there are deeply held religious convictions that they don't want to be challenged mm. and it's how somehow we find a way of addressing the fears on both sides mm. so that everyone is confident that we're having a, a sensitive but academically challenging opportunity for children to explore what religion and worldviews are. Mm. And I think that the, the more it becomes evident that a national programme of study is not being created by spokespeople uh, for a religious group, the more it becomes evident that a local advisory a network uh, is drawing on the expertise of religious studies professionals and not simply relying on insider views and voices, then the less risk there is of this sort of fear and knee-jerk withdrawal mm. on the subject. A final quick question, if, that, if that's okay. Um, so the Religious Studies Project audience is um, very diverse, but... Um, what do you think, as commissioners, that, that people who are interested in the Religious Studies Project, who are interested in academic religious studies, maybe critical religious studies, might really appreciate about the Commission's report and what, they, what might they be critical of? What I think they should appreciate is the opening up of the subject to make it absolutely relevant to every child in every classroom. Mm -hmm. And that term... We talked a great deal in the Commission about entitlement and equality, but also the idea of inclusivity. Religious education, religion and worldviews has to be appropriate for every single child, whatever background they come from. And if and children, whatever type of school they're in. And whatever well. type of school they're in. And if children who are who would describe themselves as not belonging to a religion can be excited by the study of religion and worldviews and interest in exploring its place in the world, then they're the young people who will want to go on to learn more and study more deeply. Mm. So I would like to think it could bring a whole new energy and an, an opening up of RE. 
I should think every teacher of religious education has been asked the question, why do we have to do this subject? Mm-hmm. My ambition is the children will stop asking that question because mm-hmm. they will see it's relevant to them. Whoever they are, whatever they believe or don't believe, that it's relevant and important and enables them to understand the world and themselves better. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's where the report is key, is moving away from having the majority of the people feeling like they're looking at others they don't recognise themselves in yeah. the US. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, isn't it more than 70% of children in classrooms don't identify mm. yeah. as religious, mm. do they? I wonder what people are going to be critical of. Perhaps, mm. do you have any insight into that, Eleanor? Well, I imagine they're going to be critical of the fact that we haven't gone far enough. For example, of saying there should be no withdrawal. But, but it, 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 that criticism, as we pointed out, is based on not necessarily legal implications are of making that stand. So I think the commissioners very, very carefully um, thought through and tried to balance just about every sentence in this report. And I think it's very easy for somebody who hasn't been through that process to take one of the views that were taken into account in the commission's uh, consultations and in their rumination of this without, of course, having had the whole process of refining and, and reaching, um, in a sense, a compromise position. Mm. So I, I think there are all sorts of points at which somebody could say well, it should go further than this. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if if there there may be um, <laughs> when when knowledge is constructed or, or the categories that we use. Um, become fixed in in um, kind of policy documents like this. Um, it's, it's very clear in the, in the, in the document that, that the worldviews that are being looked at are not political worldviews. They're worldviews that have some relationship to, uh, to or, or are responses to religious belief. So atheism is included as a, as a worldview, um, but not... Um, communism or something like that and I think a lot of people working in religious studies I don't know what you think Sally might might say you can't draw those hard and fast lines um quite so easily um and 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 what you're what you're creating is a kind of constructed idea of what a worldview is um yeah I think from the the conversation we've heard as well in the RE today and your conference um there was some concern about worldviews maybe being too wide and having been narrowed down a bit too much. But I think yeah. we may be also lacking the right vocabulary at the moment. So no one seemed to come forward with a suggestion that would have been better than worldviews. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we hear, uh, oh, it would be better to be um, philosophy uh, rather than worldviews. But, I mean, philosophy is a, a different subject. Yes. <laughs> and the other alternative or another uh, option was belief. Yes. But similarly with beliefs, there, yeah. can, there can be beliefs which probably would be less suitable uh, for this particular subject than others, but where do you draw the line? Yeah. Well, belief you know, comes very much out of a kind of Protestant Christian uh, model yeah. of what a religion is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I would be really disappointed if it was, if it was belief. I think worldviews is a, is a massive um, improvement on that. And when we looked at the at the record of what we'd said and 
what had been written down on our behalf, the word that emerged naturally from our ruminations, mm. to use Eleanor's word, was that word, world view. Mm. We could have taken any title and imposed it, but when we actually looked at the texts of what we'd been talking about, it just seemed the natural consequence mm. of our thinking. Mm. So it wasn't arbitrary. We did try the arbitrary exercise, should we call it this, that or the other. Yeah. But then it did emerge naturally, I think, from the conversations that we had. Mm. I think that's the issue, isn't it? Whatever we think, whatever is selected as that word that we add to religion, it's going to be problematic anyway. Mm. Well, I think... That is a good point to stop if everybody's okay with that. Um, and can I say a very sincere thank you to Dr. Joyce Miller, Professor Eleanor Nesbitt and um, Celine Benoit um, for this interesting conversation. And can I um, ask Religious Studies Project listeners to visit the Commission for Religious Education's uh, website where they can find the report and uh, there's also some uh, information on that website about getting behind the report if, if you would like to do that. Um, we'll put the link to, to the report on, on the webpage for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Fantastic to hear about that. Um, we did. Um, we were trying to record this a few weeks ago when David and I were both going to be participating and we read up on the report. It was all quite fun. And I was wanting to, you know, it's interesting that, you know, it does sound like this has been a positive way forward, but, you know, they're bringing in worldviews, right? Mm. It's now the recommendation is that we study religion and worldviews. But it's still strange that this is a subject that's apparently so essential for schools, but you're still allowed to be exempted from it. Parents and children can sort of exempt themselves from it, I believe, which is an, an interesting thing for education to be getting. I don't know quite how I feel about the new recommendations, but certainly. Yeah. My uh, my concern is, why do we feel the need to invoke religion at all here? If we're just talking about the ways that humans live, then why do we need to include religion in there? Because lots of things are the way that people um, live. So, you know, it's interesting that, that we're still tied to that we want something that's religious education, but it's got to be more than that. So it's all religions and none. Why don't we just drop the religion bit and just talk about being human or something? What do you think, right? Society. No, I totally agree. It's sort of, once you start bringing religion into everything, it does tend to get to that point where people, I don't want to use the term freak out, but they start pulling their kids out of these classes and, if it, um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have them here, but in Australia we have ethics classes, which was if you want to um, exempt your children from scripture classes, which is sort of like a um, every Tuesday when, when I went to school, it was a Tuesday morning, and you would have someone from a some form of belief would come in and talk to the students about their belief. Um, and it's got to the last five, six years, and ethics, ethics classes have come in where they basically just teach you how to be you know, a person. Um, but even those were sort of a bit fraught because you have people going, oh, you can't have ethics, you can't have religion. Yeah, and who's ethics? Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. But equally, we as a as a podcast, as a field or discipline or whatever, uh, we, we're always guilty of bringing religion into everything, in a sense. Uh, and it's probably good that it is 
in there in the school curriculum in some way. Mm-hmm. We often hear this sort of narrative of, oh, well, it can just be taught within history or geography or um, literature and things like that. It doesn't need to be a special subject, but I'm not entirely sure if it would be, but equally I'm not entirely comfortable with the way it is or necessarily the way it might be based on this report. I think I think anyway we can uh, agree that thinking about these things and trying to to bring it more in line with the kind of approach that we have is going to be a positive move yeah. a step forward at least if perhaps not the end result that we would like absolutely so thanks to Wendy and the commissioners and um to Celine for that conversation a very big thanks actually because Wendy really put a lot of work into that and everybody made a big effort to be to travel to take part in that so we we hugely appreciate that the podcast next week um it's one of the uh, interviews that Sammy Bishop recorded at the ESR back in June and it's with uh, Mariana Kvorchevigger um, apologies again for potential mispronunciations, but it's on the Hugging Guru, AMA and transnationalism. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that interview. Um, I know Sammy enjoyed it. And um, should we give our listeners um, a, a group hug, um, a, as we say, our uh, closing mantra at the end of the podcast? Thanks, Thanks for listening. listening. Oh, come <laughs> to my bosom. Thanks so much for listening. From Ray particularly. Thanks, guys. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett, and our opportunities digest by Yana Shirley. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, with audio assistance from Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget, you can support the project using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or by donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.